0: Hi everyone, lovely to see you all, lovely to see the Ministry Centre quite full and people walking around and uh, chatting over supper together. Hi to everyone on Zoom, those who are there, I can't see you but I'm sure you're there, nice just nice to uh, know there are people there. Oh there's no one on Zoom, well, that's a bit embarrassing isn't it? <laughs> just let me talk to myself. Uh, again, we continue in the Gospel of John. We're kind of in our final home stretch, I suppose, leading up to Christmas now. There's, and uh, this this passage, you might have noticed how it kind of jumps over the place a little bit. There's a few different scenes, sort of snapshots going on through this chapter. But as I was reading through it, 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 struck, it struck me, or it brought to mind... C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote an essay titled, God in the Dock. Uh, And in that essay, he he writes this, The ancient man approached God, or or the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. Now, I I take C.S. Lewis point, there's, this, there's something wrong or backwards, upside down, when the creature places their creator on trial, especially when that creator is good. When the clay demands answers from the potter, why have you made me like this? But, but C.S. Lewis, I, th- I think, is incorrect about one point. I, I don't think this is unique to modern man. Humans since the dawn of time have put God on trial, demanding answers. Why is there suffering? The book of Job, written thousands of years ago, was written to answer that question. Are you really good? If you're real, why did you let this happen to me? We all ask those questions, and humans have been asking those questions forever, I think. And and there's nothing wrong with those questions. But I, I suspect that often when we do ask them, we're not actually looking for an answer. Rather, we're going in guns blazing with our mind already decided, ready to speak our mind, to tell God how it is, determined to find him guilty. Maybe we've already decided that he's guilty. Well in today's passage, Jesus stands on trial before the crowds, before Pilate. God is in the dock. The creature is judge and jury. So as we come to this passage and explore it, let's let's pray. Lord God, may you guide us through your word now. May your spirit speak to us pulling out the truths you want, to hear, you want us to hear and applying it to our lives in whatever circumstances we might be wrestling with, in the, the pain we might be feeling or the, the joy we might be celebrating, whatever it might be, Lord, may you be at work in us and binding us together as your people. Amen. <clears throat> Generally, in our world, I think we value truth. At least, at least on the surface, we, we would say, and most people you, you bump into in the streets would say, that truth is a good thing. But what if that truth was something from your past that you didn't want others to know about? Or would you, would you embrace that truth? Or would you try and hide from it, stop it from coming out? Or what if truth was a threat to you? What if truth came out that you weren't doing a very good job at work because you're being lazy or half-hearted? What if truth threatened your reputation or employment? Or what if you discovered some claim to truth that was just confusing? You didn't know what to do with it. Like two friends telling conflicting stories. What do you do with that? Throw your hands up in frustration and and give up, trying to work it out. Deflect or run from the difficult conversations. Maybe pass the buck for somebody else to try and work it out because it's too hard. We we say that we value truth. But in our own lives, we all have an awkward relationship with truth, if we're really honest with ourselves. We spend as much time running and hiding from it as we do embracing it. We even twist and distort and add to it to suit our own agendas. Truth's great when it's on our side, but it's not so pleasant when it's not. Jesus has made the startling claim throughout the book of John That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And here in verse 37, Jesus says to Pilate, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. So so here in, in the person of Jesus, in his life, words, and actions, stands truth. Truth in flesh. But it's quite, that idea of a person being truth, what do, we, what do we do with that? How can a person be truth? There's probably a lot we could say in response to that, but for today I want to focus on, on just two things. Jesus is the truth because he shows to us the truth of who we are. As the perfect human living God's ways, he shows us what it means to be truly human. He reveals to us the truth of ourselves. And he shows us the truth of what God, of who God is and what he is like. And so in our passage today, what we're seeing is truth on trial. Jesus, the truth, standing on trial. But but as I read through this passage, I come away wondering, who's really on trial here? Sure, Jesus stands before the religious courts and before Pilate, accused, fingers pointing at him. But as Jesus answers questions with more questions, you have to wonder if the accusations start to bounce back at the accusers. Each character in the story, it ends up peering into a mirror of sorts, with their heart and their motives laid bare as they encounter Jesus, the truth. So what I'd like to do this evening is just to move between the different characters in in this story as they encounter Jesus, as they encounter truth. So we're going to look at the religious leaders, we're going to look at Pilate, and we're going to look at Peter and explore how each of them respond to this encounter with the truth. And hopefully we'll see a bit of ourselves in this story too, and reflect on how we might respond to Jesus and his truth. So let's start by looking at the religious leaders. First of all, if I can get it to flick across. Mary, could I get you to flick it across the next slide? Thanks. Yeah, that's right. So as we read through that passage, how did the religious leaders respond as they encountered Jesus? Well, the passage opens with Jesus standing before the high priest, and he's under interrogation. And Jesus responds in a a very matter-of-fact kind of way. No games, not defensive, not aggressive. But you get this sense that they're really looking to trip Jesus up to get some kind of confession, because, but, but Jesus isn't interested in playing their game. And as their frustration grows and they realise that they're powerless, they resort to hitting Jesus and handing him off to Pilate, the Roman governor. And what's really interesting through this whole chapter, through, through this encounter, is that n- nowhere do the religious leaders directly make an accusation against Jesus. They speak in sneaky, underhanded ways all the way through. It's like they know that they don't have evidence for their accusations, or they know that Pilate just won't care, so they're manipulating matters, trying to draw something out. And even when Pilate asks them the direct question, what, charge, what charges are you bringing against this man? Do you see their response? If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Sneaky, not answering the question directly. So as they accuse Jesus and sneak around the truth, eventually the religious leaders find it's actually their own hearts that end up being exposed, not Jesus. In verse 31, Pilate tells them, go and deal with the matter yourselves. I'm not dealing with this. And they respond, but we have no right to execute anyone. Under Roman rule, only a Roman authority could sentence someone to death. So these religious leaders, as they seek to expose Jesus, find it's them who are exposed by the truth. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Their accusations are false. They just want him dead. And they'll twist the truth or add to the truth to get what they want. So what about Pilate then? I find Pilate one of the most interesting characters in the New Testament. On the one hand, I find myself really sympathizing for Pilate. He was asked to make a judgment on something he really knew nothing about. He tried hard to have Jesus released. And, and Jesus, at the very least, intrigued Pilate. Maybe he was even half convinced that Jesus was telling the truth. It's Pilate who puts the sign up, King of the Jews, above Jesus' cross. But Pilate has a diff- quite a different response to the religious leaders as he encounters Jesus, as he encounters truth in flesh. As Jesus reveals his purpose as coming to reveal truth, Pilate makes that famous offhand quip, what is truth? And it's almost a dismissive response, I think. Like a way of breaking up an awkward conversation so that he can quickly adjourn to to speak to the crowd. I get this sense that Pilate's quite uncomfortable with the conversation and where it's headed. He's unsettled and, and confused by Jesus. The interrogator, that the one who's meant to be asking the questions, finds himself having questions asked of him deep questions, core questions. And he discovers something about himself, I think. Discovers that beneath the security of public authority, beneath the bravado of power, lies someone who is unsure. And uncertain. I've often heard it said that Pilate's comment, what is truth? makes him the the quintessential postmodern human, asking philosophical questions about where truth can be found. But I don't think that's what how we're meant to read this at all. Rather, I think we're just meant to see Pilate weak and confused and troubled with the situation before him. As he stands before the truth of Jesus, he realises truth is somewhere beyond his grasp. He can't work out who is right and who is wrong in this situation. He doesn't know what to do. And so Jesus' truth exposes him as frail and limited, inadequate for the task before him. Who's really on trial? Peter, Jesus' disciple and friend. Now Peter's encounter with the truth in this passage is is again different to the religious leaders and Pilate, because Peter is not the accuser. He's not standing before Jesus in this story. He's not placing Jesus on trial. Rather, Peter, like Jesus, stands accused himself. He stands accused by the words of others. You might remember in the last chapter of John, Jesus prayed this beautiful prayer that his disciples would be one with him, moving with the same purpose and will and desire. And so we come into this chapter hopeful that Jesus and his disciples will stick together through whatever is about to come. Instead, we get the tragic disappointment of Peter three times running from the truth. I do not know this man. So as Peter is confronted by the crowds, he's asked the question, Are you with this Jesus? Are you with the truth? And Peter's response is, No. Let me crawl back to the shadows. It's safer there. Leave me be. In Matthew, we read that after the rooster crowed, Peter wept bitterly. All the guilt of betraying his Lord and friend wrenched at his heart as the truth exposed him as a fearful fraud. The man who had just earlier made the bold claim, I will never betray you. The man who just cut off a soldier's ear to defend Jesus now had his true colours exposed. All that courage... And recklessness, it was just a mask. The real Peter, deep down, was scared and weak. In contrast to all these characters, Jesus presents a calm and non anxious presence throughout this chapter. While the lying mob, the unsettled ruler and the fearful friend are all left shaken and and rattled, Jesus calmly responds without getting defensive or entering into their games. And so while for the mob and for Pilate and for Peter, truth in this chapter is unsettling and troubling, for Jesus, truth is his source of comfort and security. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so Jesus stands resolutely in the truth of knowing that what he has spoken and done is his Father's will. And no lies or mistruths or betrayals, no matter how painful, can change the fact that he's at peace with his Father. Now, I'm, I'm sure that Jesus was pained by what took place, hurt by Peter's betrayal. Frustrated by Pilate's indecision, incensed by the false accusations. Yet when he stands before the one voice that ultimately matters, he can do so with confidence. And so the momentary accusations, the fingers pointing that stings, they sting but wash away. They bruise but they fade. Jesus says uh, earlier in the Gospel of John, the truth will set you free. And I wonder if this is part of what he meant. To walk on the side of truth means being set free from responses of rage, revenge and hate. When we face injustice, when people make accusations or throw darts at us. To have peace, even when life is unfair. When we encounter Jesus, whether it's as we pray to him, as we are introduced to him, as we get to know more about who he is, as he reveals himself to us by his spirit, we'll, we'll find ourselves with a mirror held up to our face. And we'll find that there are parts of our heart that lie uncomfortably exposed And that's because if Jesus came to show us what it's like to be truly human, then as we look at him, we see beauty and goodness and wonder. But we also see how far we are from that. Now, I look at Jesus' grace and calmness in the face of adversity and lament my own anxious and fearful heart. I see Jesus' wisdom, how he he knew when to speak and when to listen and what questions to ask, and I see my own impulsiveness. As I look at Jesus' love for the outcast and the sinner, I, I become too aware of my selfish, callous heart. Jesus makes me uncomfortable if I stop and look at him well. He exposes me. And honestly, I don't like that very much. But with every disruption that God's truth causes in our lives, there's also an invitation. Jesus' truth isn't aimed at exposing our guilt and leaving us there. But inviting us to find new life. You know, for the religious mob, as their vengeful and hateful hearts were exposed, there was also an invitation that Jesus was offering them. Come and let go of that hate. Look into your heart. Do you like what you see? Let go of that hate. Let go of your self-love and find peace in my love instead. For Pilate, confused and bewildered at his own inability to find truth, there was an invitation for him too. Look at your weakness and your confusion. Let go of your ego and need to prove your own worth. Accept your limitations and instead let me show you the truth. And for Peter, as he wept with guilt, there was an invitation for him too. Take off that mask of bravado. Stop pretending. Come and find forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. And we'll get to see how that happens at the end of the book of John, one of my favourite chapters. If we look at Jesus long enough and well, we will find ourselves exposed. We'll find ourselves feeling inadequate weak and frail, as the truth of our brokenness is laid bare. But when we embrace that reality and accept the love of God despite our inadequacies, we'll find that there's security and love, eternal love to be found because Jesus' truth, it doesn't just expose us, he also shows us God. And when we look into the heart of God, we find one who is endlessly forgiving and patient, one abounding in love and compassion, one who invites us into his family, who speaks truth and goodness and rightness into our lives, teaching us to be like him, making us new, not leaving us exposed, but clothing us, and righteousness and goodness. If you were there in this courtroom scene with Jesus, how would this encounter impact you as you met the truth in flesh? Perhaps you're someone who has spent many years angry at God. Accusing him, wondering why he would allow you to suffer like you have. Maybe you want some answers from him. I know there's questions I want to ask. Or perhaps Jesus confuses you. So so much of what he says and does is compelling. He's wise and gentle, but the claims are just—they're pretty hard to believe. God become human rising from the dead? Maybe you just don't quite know what to do with Jesus. Or maybe you find yourself afraid and timid. You're convinced that Jesus is right. His truth makes sense of your life and the world in a way that nobody else can. But it's costly to follow him. His truth isn't always what your friends and your family want to hear. In fact, some of them might be angry if they knew what you believe. So you find yourself afraid. But you'd rather not talk about your faith. Keep it, keep it private. Or maybe you would prefer to keep truth at arm's length. Acknowledging Jesus with your intellect but being careful to not let his truth actually expose you. You like to talk about God, but not with God. Like to read about truth, but not embrace it and let it shine onto your heart. Deep down, maybe we're scared about what we'll find. Or maybe, and I don't know where everyone is at in here tonight, but maybe you just don't particularly want much of this at all. You've got your own understanding of the world and of you, you've got your truth and you're happy with that. There's no point rocking the boat. As humans, there will be many times where we want to put God in the dock and demand answers. The thing is, God's gracious enough to accommodate us. Jesus stood before the crowds accused, he didn't run or fight, he let them ask their questions. He let them make their accusations. So by all means, put God in the dock. Ask him your questions. Make your accusations. But don't be surprised if the answer you get is a mirror. A mirror that exposes you and the fragility of our own truth that's separate to God's truth. Don't be surprised if you receive a mirror that invites you into relationship with Jesus and to move into his truth. If we put God in the dock, are we prepared to face the answers that might come? I hope so. Because as confronting as it might be, Jesus tells a story of the world that is beautiful and filled with hope a story wonderful and true. He's able to tell you who you are and what life is all about. But more than anything else, he's able to show you God, a loving and good God who invites you to walk by the side of truth. How about we pray? Lord God, we... We live in a world searching for truth, a world divided and and polarised where everyone seems to be deciding for ourselves what is true and what's not and those stories just keep coming into conflict and we look at this world, this beauty of your creation and the patterns and rhythms and order and there has to be a story, a deep story that makes sense of it all. Lord God, we thank you that in your word, you give us a true story that makes sense of it all. Even though there are questions we have, things we don't understand. Lord, may you guide us towards your truth. And as we meet our Lord Jesus, as we continue to encounter him and have our own lives exposed, we thank you that you have given us these wonderful promises that you're at work transforming us. You don't leave us alone but you draw us closer towards you. May you be doing that in our lives. May we seek your truth even when it's uncomfortable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.